0: There was a voicemail message on a tax helpline that went like this.
1: If you understand English, press one. If you don't understand English, press two.
0: Sometimes we get so caught up in our own culture and understanding, we fail to see how it might prevent others from taking part. Your culture is not superior
1: to somebody else's culture. It's different. And what we've done with the gospel, we have clothed it in our culture. So if you want to be a Christian, You've got to be a Christian like me. Welcome to Simple
0: Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We all have our own personal convictions, those things that may not be foundational to the faith. So what happens when we try to force others, not like us, to conform or do things the way we do them? Well, this week, Charles Tapp offers a solution when these issues arise as he shares the second part in the series, When in Rome, with his message, Rise, Kill,
1: Eat. On last Sabbath, we began a series that we simply titled, When in Rome. Today, we began part two of our series. In part one, I, I shared with you both the origin as well as the meaning of that well-known expression, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. And we discover that its earliest origin is found in a letter written by St. Augustine in 390 A.D. to the Bishop of Rome, Januaris. And in that letter, we find this phrase. Look at this phrase here. It says, when I go to Rome, I fast on Saturday. But here in Milan, that's where St. Augustine was writing from. He says, I do not. Do you also follow the custom of whatever church you attend if you do not want to give or receive scandal? Augustine was was simply saying that whenever he visits a place where the culture is somewhat foreign to his own, that instead of trying to insist or impose that they adapt and adopt his way of doing things, that that he deems it best that he simply acquiesces to their culture so as not to create a scandal. Although this phrase was used some 2,000 years ago, it is still very popular even within our culture today. For you don't even have to complete the phrase for individuals to know what you're talking about. All you have to do is say, when in Rome, and they know exactly what you mean. But although it is an old saying, its meaning still has application for us today. And here is the practical application for our culture today, and that is this, that it is both polite as well as respectable to adapt one's way of behaving when you find yourself in a culture whose practices are different from what you are accustomed. When I was a young pastor Just beginning in ministry, I went along with an older pastor in one of his many pastoral visits and the home we went to, they invited us for dinner. And, you know, I don't turn down opportunities to eat. But as we sat there at the table, I looked at the array of food and I saw a dish that I had a very strong, yes, even disdain, dislike for. And I began to share with our host, I was young, I was young, my disdain for this dish. And then I could see that her feelings had been hurt. But when the pastor and I left, he taught me a very valuable lesson that I still remember even to this very day. And the lesson was this. He said, son, there are times as a pastor, where you're going to have to give in or adapt to some type of food or be a part of some event, even though you may not necessarily like it, as long as it is not going against Scripture or your personal convictions. I never forgot that lesson. What was he teaching me when in Rome? But there is a dual message to this expression, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. First of all, it helps us to understand, especially as believers, especially as Christians, that we need to be more adaptable. We need to be more flexible as Christians, especially if it doesn't go against Scripture or our own personal consciousness. The other thing that we need to understand as believers that we can extricate from this phrase is simply this, it is not my job, nor is it your job to force anyone to be like us. See, we don't have a problem with that when someone tries to force us to be like them, but the challenge we have, we try to force others to be like us. This is the message that Paul gave to the believers at Rome. Turn to Romans chapter 14, verses 1 to verse 3. For Paul here was dealing with certain issues that had the potential of causing conflict, disharmony within the body of Christ. Look at what it says. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one who believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does what? Not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge who eats, for God has received him. What is Paul's message here? That when it comes to these issues, and he already said what these issues were, these doubtful issues, things that Scripture neither commands nor forbids, things that potentially can disrupt the unity and peace within the body of Christ. Paul says when it comes to these issues, don't make them issues. In other words, as one pastor once told me, agree to disagree, but not to be disagreeable over these doubtful issues. Issues that for you are a matter of conscience, issues of your personal preference and conviction, issues that are matters of indifference, issues that are man-made, but not God-ordained which is a good way to transition to our scripture lesson for today. Go back to Acts chapter 10, this time reading verses 9 to verse 13. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, in other words, while they were getting the food ready, He fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. Verse 12, in it were what? All kinds, all kinds of four footed animals on the earth, wild beasts, creeping things and birds of the air. Look at verse 13. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, you've got to understand the background, the context to this. There was a Roman centurion by the name of Cornelius from Caesarea, who also received a vision around this same time where God told him to take some men and send them to Joppa, some 30 miles where Peter was. And, for, to, and to have them to tell Peter to come to him and he would tell him what to do. But as Cornelius and his men were drawing closer to Joppa, scripture says Peter himself was caught up in vision. And what was Peter's vision? That an object that looked like a sheet had come down from heaven to the earth and Each corner was bound or was tied. So it was hanging like this. And there were all kinds of animals, all kinds of creeping things in that sheet. It is interesting that three times God gave this vision to Peter. There is something about the number three when it comes to Peter's relationship with God. For it was three times Peter denied Christ. It was three times Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And now three times God gives this same Peter this vision. You can say that's coincidence. I don't think it was. I think that God had a way of speaking to Peter that Peter understood that this was from God. Amen? And that's one of the things I love about God. He has a way of speaking to me. He has a way of speaking to you that may not be the way he speaks to me, but you know that is God speaking in your life. But what was Peter's response? Acts 10, 14 and verse 15. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything, what? Common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. There are many many well-meaning Christians that have interpreted Peter's vision along with God's response for Peter to rise, kill, and eat as God doing and about faith, that God is is doing some kind of reversal when it comes to the dietary laws that he gave mankind that are found in the Old Testament books of Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14. For in these two chapters, listen to me, God gives clear criteria for what determines which animals are good for human consumption and which animals are not good for human consumption. And that's important. For instance, in Leviticus 11, God forbids man to eat such things like camel. Had a camel lately? Or hare, otherwise known as rabbits. How about this one? The swine, a.k.a. the pig. Not only does he say, don't eat it, he says, don't even touch it. When it comes to fish, stay away from catfish, stay away from shrimp. I know some of you listening to me on radio, you're having a challenge right now. Most insects, and the list goes on and on, but those who are listening by radio at the end of the broadcast, we have a special offer we want to give you absolutely free to help you understand this better, amen? Amen. God said, stay away from these things. What I find interesting is that some people say, well, that's just for the Jews. One old preacher told me one day, he said, what will kill a Jew will kill you. For isn't it interesting that these are the same foods that science says today are the causes of heart disease, high blood pressure, Cholesterol, high cholesterol, and a sundry of different things. So if this was God's way, please don't miss this, because if you're like me, stuff has to make sense, okay? For if God was reversing what he said earlier, that this is not good for human consumption, wouldn't it only make sense that he would also reverse the diseases that these foods cause? That's an aha moment for some of you. It's all right to eat anything, God says. Well, if that's the case, why do these foods still cause us physical challenges and issues? God doesn't work that way. That's like God saying, it's all right to sin, but then sin still causes pain and heartache. God does not change his word. So there has to be a deeper issue at play here. And we discover what it is in verse 15 of Acts chapter 10. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common.
0: You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and part two of When in Rome. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this.
1: Man, when I think about WGTS, I think about family, and uh, WGTS lifts me up. The whole crew has truly been a blessing in my life, and um, I'm forever grateful for WGTS and what they do for myself and for the community
0: support makes a difference. I
1: always uh, encourage people like if you want to listen to something to be encouraged when you're going through a tough time starting 91.9 um, they are definitely up with the spirits and uh, especially in the trying time we're in right now in society.
0: Working together to impact the nation's capital. We are
1: family. And I am forever grateful for, for the WGPS family because that's exactly what it is family and we get to be a part of that as listeners which is is amazing
0: listener funded wgts 91.9 always encouraging at 88.3 on the eastern shore this is simple truths for life and it's easy to get caught up in our own culture and understanding that we sometimes don't think how our convictions or prejudices might be preventing others from taking part charles tap offers a solution as he continues with his message when in rome rise kill eat.
1: Peter says he can't eat what is common or unclean, even if he's hungry. And the Bible says he was hungry while he was waiting for the meal to be prepared. And why is that? Why is it that that when God responds to what Peter said, he only brings up the issue of what is common and not the issue of what is unclean? Because common and unclean are two completely Different things altogether. together. The word for common in the Greek is the word koinos, which we get our word common from. And that was its original meaning. But throughout time, Jewish tradition added to that meaning of being defiled. Or something that was unclean, which was something that God ordained from the very beginning of being unclean. So unclean means God says it's unclean. According to Jewish tradition, what is common or defiled is what Jewish tradition says is common or defiled. Please don't miss that distinction. The idea of defilement in the Jewish culture. They believe that when something that was clean, whether it be a pot, whether it be an animal or a person who came into close contact with something that was declared unclean by God, then that would take that thing which was clean and make it common or defiled. So in essence, defilement had nothing to do with what God said. This was a cultural preference, a cultural practice, a cultural tradition. And that's why God Dealt with what Peter said because he wanted to put it in his mind. You don't determine what is defiled and you don't determine what is unclean. That's my job. This wasn't an issue about food. This was an indictment on their culture. And to show you that's the case, look at verse 28 of Acts chapter 10. Then he said to them, this is talking about Peter. You know how lawful it is for a Jewish. Man to keep company with or to go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call what any man common or unclean. So for those who read this and say, well, God says that all the food that was originally designated as unclean, God now says clean. Peter doesn't even say that. Peter says, God, through this vision, showed me I don't have the right to call anybody unclean. I don't have the right to call anybody to file. I don't have the right to determine anyone as being unfit. In other words, God was saying to Peter, and God is saying to his church today, we don't determine the standard for righteousness. God does. We do it many times with our own cultural practices, trying to make people in our image. And when we do so, The things that we put on God's law even transcends and goes above what God himself asked for. The Jews did this when it came to the Sabbath. God said, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. What did they do? They added their own cultural practices and created 39 laws of Sabbath prohibition that made the Sabbath a burden. You couldn't look in the mirror on the Sabbath, if you were a woman, you couldn't light a candle on the Sabbath. You couldn't even walk a certain distance on the Sabbath. If you were a Jew, God never said that. This isn't about food. It's about a bigger issue. The Jews believe they couldn't even enter the home of a Gentile lest they be defiled. In other words, what they were saying was they're unclean and we're clean. Well, I can't drink from that water fountain for they're unclean. I'm clean. The issue was not over food. If that were the case, stuff has to make sense for me. If the sheet contained both animals that were designated clean and unclean, why did Peter say, I can't eat this? Why didn't he just eat the food that was clean? Inquiring minds want to know because the sheet was tied on all four sides, which means it hung like this, which meant all the food, all the animals came in contact with one another. And by doing so, even the food that Jews said were clean by God's standard now in their minds were designated as unclean. And God is saying to Peter, you don't determine what is right. You're not the standard. Who are you to say that one man is clean and the other is unclean? Are you kidding me? And before we are too judgmental, we still do that in our culture today. How dare you look down on someone else because they're from a different culture than you are? For they speak differently. They dress differently. Their cultural practices are different from yours. How dare you think you're superior? That's ethnocentrism. Your culture is not superior to somebody else's culture. It's different. And what we've done with the gospel in giving people the gospel many times, we have clothed it in our culture. So if you want to be a Christian, You've got to be a Christian like me. But where does it say that? Show me. Show me. Where, where, where is that in God's word? Show me where it says I have to wear a suit and tie. Show me. Show me. Show me. You know, when summer comes, I wear my barongs. I wish I had one today. I wear it today. It's kind of warm up here. Cultural, not gospel. Church starting at 11 o'clock. Cultural. It gets started at 3 o'clock. Cultural, not gospel. Acts 10, 34 and 35. I'm just about finished. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows what? No partiality. What is Peter saying? I've got the revelation from the vision. It's not about food. God didn't go back on his word. But he's teaching me a lesson that I need to learn that my culture is getting in the way of me presenting the gospel. And whenever our culture, I don't care what culture it is, if it is acting as a barrier between you presenting the gospel, then you need to acquiesce with that culture. And when in Rome, but in every nation, but in how many nations, every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Whoever, in every nation, every culture, if I invite Jesus into my heart and accept the gospel, that's all I need. Don't tell me I need to wear what you wear. You want to eat vegetables? Only God bless your soul. Not me. Some of you are saying, we know, Pastor, we know. Not me. Oh, no. But I'm not going to keep you from eating your vegetables, Johnson. Eat your vegetables all you want, man. I'll eat some vegetables sometimes. Amen. But I'm not going to eat it all the time. Thank God for the potluck this afternoon. What is Paul saying here? What is the message that God has given to Peter? Only God has the right to set the standard for what is pleasing in his sight, not man only God. When it comes to man, there is no unclean and clean. There is no superior and inferior. My last passage I'll leave with you today. Galatians chapter 3. Some of you already know where I'm going. Verses 27 to 29. If this isn't clear, I don't know what is. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, meaning you've put on Christ and his characteristics. It's having the mind of Christ. That's what Paul talked about in Philippians chapter 2. And because you're now in Christ, there is neither what? Jew nor Greek. It could have easily said there is neither clean nor unclean. There's neither slave nor free. Uh Uh-oh. There's neither male nor female. Wow. You mean we're not superior men? Wow. Maybe we think we are because we may be stronger physically and we use that physical strength not to lift up or to tear down. I'm just saying. The invitation of the gospel was never intended to be reserved for only one group of people, regardless of their culture or your caste. It's made available to anyone who invites Jesus in question we need to ask ourselves. What are the cultural practices and preferences that I have been holding on to that are acting as a wall, acting as a barrier from keeping people from accepting the gospel? Lest we forget as it relates to the gospel, Christ is first. Without Christ, there is no gospel. I need to go inside and search my heart and go, God, what practices, what traditions am I holding on to that I'm trying to enforce or inflict into somebody else's life so that they can become a Christian like me. Foolishness. Christ is the standard, not you, not me. So if my man-made tradition, regardless of how long I've been practicing, it serves as a barrier to the gospel of Christ. I need to pray that Christ, like the walls of Jericho will tear them down. Regardless of how stringent my culture is or my practices are. When in Rome, means I need to acquiesce when it doesn't go against my conscience or scripture. It doesn't mean when in Rome, make the Romans be like me. My prayer for God's people today is that we will bring this to an end. Stop fighting over issues that scripture neither commands nor forbids see it for what it is a cultural practice or tradition man-made not god-ordained let's focus on what god ordained and i think if we put our attention there we'll do something because what did he ordain to love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul and your mind and your neighbor as yourself that's what he ordained if i truly love my neighbor as i love myself it means If it doesn't go against scripture or my personal conscience, I need to acquiesce when I'm in Rome. But when I'm back in Milan, I'm going to have more than vegetables. Amen? Praise God. You've been listening to Simple Truths for
0: Life with Charles Tapp and part two of When in Rome. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Now here's what we're working on for next week.
1: Even though there was no rest for the weary in Christ, even in death, even in the tomb, it's because of what He did on that cross, what He did by lying in that tomb, what He did when He came out of that tomb, you and I can now experience the rest of our lives you won't want to miss this message no
0: rest for the weary well thanks for listening and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more simple truths for life Jesus came here for you. No matter what your skin color is. Jesus came here for you if you're Republican, Democrat, neutral, don't know or don't care, or any political party. Jesus came for the far left and the far right, or if you're somewhere in between. Jesus came for the person who cut you off in traffic. Jesus came for the homeless, the poor, the middle class, and the rich. Jesus came for love. Love. Jesus came for you. And for all his children. We're here to remind you of that. WGTS 91.9.
1: Always encouraging. And 88.3
0: on the Eastern Shore.